And this from Isaiah 50, beginning in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In our passage today, we have Isaiah arguing that God is present with us despite difficulties. Last week, we're reading from a different prophet, Jeremiah, who reminded us that God is at work in our hearts. But it seems that now Isaiah is with a group who are contending with him as he says God is present in difficult circumstances. There's others saying we have been abandoned. We cannot find God. Where is God in these difficult circumstances? They're rebuking Isaiah. They're attacking him, he says. There seems to be another group not really attacking him, but weary and wavering, kind of fatigued, not sure if they're going to continue to walk in the ways of faith. Isaiah feels a call from God to respond to these groups of people, to help them, to give them a word of encouragement, to strengthen them as they feel these difficult circumstances weighing down upon them. Throughout this season of Lent, we've been looking at big questions, life questions. Our big question today is how does God sustain us? When we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, having experiences that we would not wished for, did not hope for, were not planning for, and yet they're coming our way all the same. Where do we find faith? How does God sustain us in those circumstances? Jeremiah last week said, well, realize God's writing the divine law on your heart. God is that close to you. Isaiah has some additional resources and ideas and declarations about how God is with us. This passage from Isaiah lists six ways that God is at work in our midst. The very first verse we read, verse 4, he begins by saying, The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. That is, God uses other people to sustain us. I bet you've had that experience where you were in a tough time and somebody came alongside of you to encourage. Isaiah says God is doing that through him. It's giving him the ability to speak a word to sustain the weary. But then he goes on and says God also wakes him up in the morning and says that God opens his ear that he might hear of divine word. Have you ever had that experience? 
or you've awakened in the night and you felt like God was trying to speak to you, that there was a word for you here, maybe a word of inspiration, maybe a word of instruction. I know people who say they have that experience all the time where they wake up in the night because God is speaking and they have to get up and write it down. Some of those have become devotions in the daily devotions we send out from the staff and the membership. I haven't had that experience a lot, but I have on occasion felt like, felt like God was waking me with a word of inspiration or instruction. It takes some discernment in my experience to figure out exactly what God is doing or trying to say or trying to wake me to. Sometimes I write down some things trying to make sense of how God is trying to speak to me or use me. Sometimes it feels like a prompting to go to someone else or to reach out to someone else. God might be waking you. God might be trying to speak to you and through you, Isaiah says. He says God does that kind of thing in our midst. Then he goes on in verse 7 and just declares the Lord God helps me. But he ties that quickly to the idea of not being disgraced, not being put to shame, and that God vindicates him. It seems like there's an, an internal and an external component here that Isaiah is saying he doesn't feel disgraced or shame because God is strengthening, strengthening him within. But also there's this external component that he's not being disgraced because God is acting to vindicate him in public or to show others that he is a person of faith and speaking a word of faith then he goes on at the end of that phrase to say god is near even in difficult circumstances isaiah says god is close to us look for god close to you in those difficult circumstances sometimes because of those difficult circumstances we feel the nearness of God with us. Isaiah witnesses to that. And then in the very last verse, he says, it is the Lord God who helps me. It is the Lord God who helps me. It's an affirmation of faith that God is at work in our lives. Even as Isaiah experiences others attacking and rebuking him, he is saying, God is with me to strengthen me in these difficult circumstances. Did you happen to see the letter that Susan Pansera wrote to the congregation that we published in the Word, our weekly paper, a couple of weeks ago? I thought she expressed so beautifully these sentiments that Isaiah is talking about. I want to read to you, not the whole letter, but several sentences. She says, Dear Boston Avenue family, I can't adequately put into words the deep gratitude I have for you. Your cards, gifts, and prayers over these last months have meant so much to Joel and me. They have uplifted us time and again. God has certainly comforted us through your actions, words, cards, and letters. She goes on to say, together, these cards and prayers have provided a beautiful and refreshing shower of love and kindness at a time when I have certainly needed it. 
I have certainly learned or been shown some things that I wish I could have seen clearly much earlier. First, love is all that matters. We never know what life may hand us, but whether forgiving or receiving, love is always there. God never abandons us. You, my family and friends, have certainly shown me that. Thank you for so graciously showing me God's love. I know that it will continue to sustain me no matter what. God's love will be with me and with all of us. I thought, what a profound testimony. So similar to what Isaiah is proclaiming in our passage today, that God is with us, that God is near that God is sustaining us through others and their efforts, even in the most dreadful of circumstances. This Sunday before Easter, we declare as Palm Sunday and Passion Sunday. We remember the stories of Jesus coming to Jerusalem to face the Roman authorities. They are the ones in power He also has a debate going on with the Jewish authorities about the best way to connect with God. They're arguing about is it through the temple rituals and rites and following the law or is it receiving the love of God and then trying to embody that in all that we say and do. Jesus had said that the great commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. He has said through his parables that God is searching for us, that God, in fact, is seeking us, reaching out to us, even in times of trouble, even when we have gone astray, even when we're lost and not looking for God. God is looking for us. He goes as far as to say, if you want to be like God, Love your friends and love your enemies as well. He says, if you're wondering where to start, seek God first. Seek God and God's righteousness first, and all these other things will fall into place. So he's taught his disciples and any who would listen all of that, and then on This day that we commemorate as Palm and Passion Sunday, he's ready to enter into Jerusalem. The stories are told in all of our Gospels. I want to read you the way Matthew describes it in chapter 21 of his Gospel. He says, when they, that is Jesus and those disciples and others that are traveling with him, when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who were selling and buying in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. I hope you get the sense of how clear And confident Jesus is as he enters Jerusalem about what he's doing and how God is working through him. You get the sense that he feels this calling to be on a mission from God or even an extension of God when he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Verse 6, and what we already read from Isaiah we read as Christians as foreshadowing of about what's about to happen to him as the week progresses, being struck on the back, being insulted, being spat upon, all of those things Isaiah talks about, Christians read as foreshadowing about what Jesus is about to experience at the hands of of these authorities with whom he's in debate. The suffering that he's going to experience gives us the name for the part of the Sunday, Passion Sunday. It comes from a Greek word, passion, Greek word pathos, meaning deep feeling unto suffering. That Jesus' great compassion or love for humanity leads him into this experience of confronting the authorities, challenging this way of violence that the Romans have perpetrated upon them, advocating for peace, advocating for the poor and the marginalized, to not being taken advantage of even in the temple. He turns over the tables, calls them to account. Later in the week, he will be arrested and tortured insulted spat upon and finally crucified on a cross it's suffering but not just suffering it's suffering love christians read the gospels as a revelation of god's love for humanity for each and every one of us jesus is driven to reveal this love of God for us that will withstand any suffering and lead us into this idea of sacrificial love where someone will give of themselves, even their very life, for the good of someone else. The musical Hamilton was back on stage in Tulsa just a couple of weeks ago. It's One of my favorites, this one tells the story of Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers, of his triumphs, but also his trials. 
of when he did really well and when he failed terribly. Part of his life story that I didn't remember from history class was that he had a young adult son who heard some others insulting his dad and to defend his honor challenged another man to a duel. He went to his dad for his advice before the duel. His dad gives him some advice and sends him on his way. He is shot during the duel and later dies. A great tragedy in the lives of Alexander and Eliza, but not just a tragedy, it creates a huge rift in their marriage. There's a song in the musical called It's Quiet Uptown. The lyrics tell the story. I want to read a few of them to you. It says, there are moments that the words don't reach. There is suffering too terrible to name. You hold your child as tight as you can and push away the unimaginable. The moments when you're in so deep, it feels easier to just swim down. Then Hamilton sings, I spend hours in the garden. I walk alone to the store, and it's quiet uptown. I never liked the quiet before. I take the children to church on Sunday, a sign of the cross at the door, and I pray that never used to happen before. He goes on and sings to his wife, look at where we are, look at where we started. I know I don't deserve you, Eliza, but hear me out, that would be enough. If I could spare his life, if I could trade his life for mine, he'd be standing here right now, and you would smile, and that would be enough. I don't pretend to know the challenges we are facing. I know there's no replacing what we've lost and you need time, but I'm not afraid. I know who I married. Just let me stay here by your side. That would be enough. Then Angelica, who is Hamilton's sister-in-law, who is watching all of this, sings these words. I've put them in your outline. There are moments that the words don't reach. There is a grace too powerful to name. We push away what we can never understand. We push away the unimaginable. They are standing in the garden. Alexander by Eliza's side. She takes his hand. And the chorus sings, forgiveness. Can you imagine? Forgiveness. Can you imagine? If you see him in the street, walking by her side, talking by her side, have pity. They are going through the unimaginable. To think about following the steps of Christ 
through Holy Week can be unimaginable. Yet we are invited to follow nonetheless. <laughs>